amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome into a new edition of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you guys here with us this week. My name is Dan Mott, and I am the AV Production Director for Pro Football Weekly, typically spinning the dials for the fellas each week. Uh, we're trying out a new format uh, to bring you guys the best quality of the PFW podcast, and hopefully we're coming through your device loud and clear this week. We have a great show for you guys, uh, Arthur Arkish and Eric at home. We'll be joining us, as always, to break down the best news from around the NFL. Guys, how are things going? I think they're going well on my end. I mean, I just I looked up on, on Thursday morning and realized we were 100 days from, from college football kicking off. That's a pretty good realization when you wake up, and you've got, obviously, uh, you know, training camps and everything before that. So this is okay. You know, this is, this is still a good time to be alive. <laughs> how about you, Arthur? No doubt. Doing excellent. I'm relieved that we finally have a professional running things here on the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. Dan Mott uh, should infinitely improve our uh, not only sound quality, but professionalism. uh, And I'm sure sort of uh, interest level in in the discussion. So we're thrilled to have the new format. We hope the listeners will enjoy it, too. I know that we have a lot to discuss on this podcast as teams hosted their rookie minicamps this past weekend and OTAs kicked off this week. Plus, uh, we're going to be taking look around the AFC East as we go division by division over the next few weeks and talk about uh, the floors and and ceilings of each team. Uh, That should be taking us right to training camps in July, Eric. As you said, time is flying. Um, So the football season doesn't seem really that far away, guys. Yeah, it's not. And, you know, the NFL keeps finding ways to dominate the headlines. And we've got, uh, you know, every year we think, oh, what's going to happen in the summer? But there's, there's plenty to talk about for sure. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll dive right into it. Uh, we got some headlines this week. Of course, the biggest uh, being the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to legalize sports betting. We have a uh, article up on ProFootballWeekly.com that uh, our, our friend Joe Ostrowski of uh, 670 The Score wrote, talking about what the next steps are for this. And, and guys, I'll kind of throw it to you. I mean, what what does this mean uh, for uh, really betting on on football as we move forward yeah dan i think it's uh it's clearly a game changer no question for the nfl and uh for, for the way that the product is viewed and, and sort of uh digested moving forward there's no doubt about it um I, I guess eric what i'm most interested in is you know the nfl has always acted like this is a, a taboo thing that doesn't uh, occur uh, gambling that is even though we know uh even then kind of behind the scenes before it was legal it was uh, reportedly a, a billion dollar annual industry. So I'm curious to see how the NFL sort of reacts here. We know a team's moving to Las Vegas, but uh, how quickly and how sort of openly are they going to welcome this thing? And, uh, and, and, you know, what part are they going to play in, in this kind of becoming uh, more of a mainstream endeavor? 
Yeah, they're going to play the we want to reap as much benefit as from this as we can <laughs> yeah. role in the whole thing. You know, the NFL for decades, really going back to the you know the suspensions of the players in the 1960s for gambling on games, things like that. You know, from then until about five years ago, had such a frosty relationship with with Vegas and the whole gambling industry, and you know, tried to distance itself and and promote the integrity of the game and all that stuff, and and you know, tout the, the concerns about, uh, you know, what gambling uh, does and could do, you know, to kind of tarnish uh, the NFL and all that. But when the NFL moved to London, where gambling is legal and you can walk down the street to a betting parlor and, and place a bet, and when the NFL approved the, the Raiders move to, to Las Vegas, it definitely signaled a shift in, in you know, kind of the antiquated thinking of, of how this, uh, you know, gambling comes in and, you know, denying that there was any kind of gambling going on obviously was foolish. Uh, it's legal in Vegas. They've warmed up to the idea. And now the next step is how can we get involved? How can we help kind of protect and set the lines and uh, how can we benefit from it? Well, you know, a percentage fee that comes into the NFL based on this. So yeah, they're going to get involved in whatever statement they released that sounded, uh, you know, a little bit distant uh, following the, the Supreme Court's ruling. Believe me, they're, they're, they're very much ahead of the curve on this, and they've been expecting this for some time. Why do you guys think that this this took so long to, to kind of get to this point? I feel like, you know, especially with, uh, you know, some of the things that you have going on with uh, fantasy football and things like that, I mean, it just, it just seems like it's something that should have maybe come, come around a little sooner, don't you think? Well, I'll say this one quick point, Arthur, and I'll throw it to you. I mean, you know, Supreme Court as recently as 2014 even refused to hear the case, but now they've kind of put it back in the state's rights here and, you know, given each state the opportunity to follow suit with, you know, Nevada, and uh, which was grandfathered in, and now uh, New Jersey, which has won this ruling, you know, it opens up the possibility for dozens of states, a lot of them where there are NFL teams housed, uh, to decide whether they want to have legalized gambling there. So, you know, the NFL was kind of following suit with what the, the legal system had kind of laid out, I think. Yeah, and it's, you know, it, obviously there's a, a stigma that surrounds gambling. And, and maybe stigma is not the right word because there are a lot of people's, uh, there are a lot of issues that can stem from it. And a lot of people that have, uh, you know, serious problems with gambling. So it's kind of a, sure. a perverse thing. And uh, the NFL has just wanted to tread very lightly. But it's like a lot of other things where... Uh, it's going to be on a state-by-state basis, at least initially, and some will choose to handle it differently than others. And um, I don't know. I'm just really fascinated to see kind of next steps here, and I would encourage our listeners uh, to check out Joe O's piece at PFW. We hope there will be a lot more coming from him uh, on this topic. He knows it well, and he kind of delves into uh, the possibility that sooner than we think there could even be kiosks inside stadiums, inside Soldier Field, uh, where fans can place bets and uh, even though we're, you know, this is a real thing now, it's still kind of hard to wrap your head around. And I think it's kind of going to be a slow process to see exactly how everything crystallizes. Absolutely. The next topic we have to discuss is is the Browns in the hard knock spotlight. I know uh, we, we were talking before we, we kicked this podcast off just about the love people have for uh, the hard knock show. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a uh, very, very well produced uh, show. And I think good reason it really sort of shines light on on behind the scenes on on how some of these these clubs operate what are your guys thoughts on the browns kind of being in that spotlight for the tv show yeah arthur i mean i i've been a little bit disinterested in the show in recent years i mean i guess the maybe it's been the teams that have been involved obviously as dan said it's it's well produced it's fascinating you get to peel back the curtain and see how nfl teams are run 
you know, even for us, you know, in the industry, we, we love watching it. But from a fan perspective, I would think Baker Mayfield has to be kind of the show. Uh, I wrote about this week about how Miles Garrett is a, is a fascinating character. You've got all these, you know, these talented but uh, maybe trouble wide receivers who are also there. I think are going to be colorful characters as well. You know, Josh Gordon, Antonio Callaway, they drafted in round four. He's had some some things come up in in, uh, in recent years that uh, kicked him out of Florida and stuff like that. So, but to me, Baker's the show, and I think he's going to help make this. Uh, one of the best uh, uh, renditions of this uh, this this documentary docu series that they've had in recent years. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Baker Mayfield. Well, the day he steps onto a football field, I think be one of the biggest stars in the league. It's just uh, his persona, and uh, and it's a credit to him, and it's a credit to the way he plays on the field too. He's just an exciting player uh, and an exciting character. So yeah, I think it starts there. But uh, I don't know. I got lots of thoughts. You know, Greg Williams uh, has you know pretty legendary potty mouth. I'm I'm wondering uh, if that will play well on the Hard Knocks uh, stage. I'm guessing it will. He's going to be dropping f bombs left and right. <laughs> Uh, Hugh Jackson, I mean, my biggest problem with hard knocks in the past, I don't think it's right to see players get fired live, uh, you know, live on tape and, and to see uh, kind of fans be allowed in onto that side of things. So I'm wondering, guys, Hugh Jackson, 1-31, 0-16 last year. Uh, is this the season where maybe we see the tables turn uh, if oh, he doesn't man. have this team going right in trading camp uh, that John Dorsey drops the hammer? I'm mostly kidding, but uh, maybe it's one thing we have in the back of our mind. HBO in 16. That's my. That's uh, what I wrote this week. Uh, yeah, obviously they hope that uh, – you know, this doesn't follow suit with the Rams a couple of years ago where they go, you know, Jeff Fisher gets fired and, you know, all that bad stuff. But yeah, you've got, you've got Greg Williams and Todd Haley as the coordinators. You can't tell me that there isn't going to be some, some coordinator fireworks going on with those two guys. And, and, and let's let's oh, not forget, guys, excuse me, uh, John Dorsey as recently as two weeks ago pretty much said that he has no interest in this. He thinks nothing good can come of this. So I would just add in that this whole dynamic of Dorsey getting Sashi Brown's draft capital and having and, – and not to mention, of course, some of the, uh, the high-profile picks last year, of course, and, and Corey Coleman and uh, two years ago and then Jabril Peppers and Miles Garrett, as Eric alluded to. Uh, just an interesting juxtaposition between Dorsey, the old school guy, Brown, who's no longer there, and and how you know Dorsey has all of his you know assets and everything. And uh, I just think it's going to lend itself to a lot of really unique storylines that we haven't seen in years past. There. Here's what I want. Here's what I, I want to see: Baker Mayfield become LeBron James, and I, and I and thus rendering you know, Hugh Jackson into that Tyron Lue role where he's sort of <laughs> standing outside the huddle and like, Hey guys, don't forget about me. I'm the head coach here. Okay. Yeah. So you're right about that, Dan and Arthur. I mean, this is going to be, there's going to be some awkward moments on this, but I, I very fun ones. I think Are no we gonna- pressure, no pressure Baker, right? You're yeah, not right. Gonna, <laughs> number one pick, but uh, be a coach too. First right. coach. Let's throw it back to what the fifties and sixties or whatever that exactly. was. Exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking how long will it be before we start seeing Baker Mayfield, uh, billboards up all over the place, trying to bring, uh, bring him to their, their team. absolutely (laughs) wrapping things up here with headlines let's talk a little bit des bryant um it's been a little more than a month since dallas cowboys released uh bryant and and there's been some words sort of being passed around on twitter this week and and des says he does not regret passing on the baltimore ravens but was very appreciative uh for the offer guys does this come back to haunt him i don't know about haunt him i think he's still waiting for a team like the giants to kind of step up or you know i i think He's certainly, 
hoping that there's a better offer. I mean, Des clearly believes in himself. The guy's 29 years old. He turns 30 in November. You know, he turns down this big offer thinking that he can prove himself with a one-year deal. No, it doesn't always work out. Terrell Pryor has plenty of examples of that. But I, I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit torn here because the, the Ravens seem like a pretty good fit pre-draft. You know, that would have been a nice little spot to land. Uh, for a team that certainly could use playmakers. Now, granted, is he a little bit similar skill-wise to, to Michael Crabtree? Yeah, but it doesn't mean they couldn't have used him in some way. I don't know. I guess I don't know the perfect fit for him right now, and I don't see you know, exactly where this is going to end up or where he's going to end up. I don't think it's the New York Giants. That seems pretty clear. It sounds like yeah. it sounds like he's you know bent on staying in the division. That's what he said right out of the gate he had hoped would happen, but – uh, I would almost kind of throw Washington in there as a, a better fit for him. I know they've got Josh Doxson, who they view as this potential elite red zone threat, but I'm just wondering if maybe that's what Des is going to be somewhat limited to at this juncture of his career. So I think it's pretty simple to just look at the teams that struggled uh, in that area last season. You know who was last in the NFL? It was, uh, I believe, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, well, no, no, no. Actually, I'm mistaken. They tied for 25th, it looks like, so I'm wrong on that. But uh, stick, sticking with the hard knocks topic, I guess that would be another way to, uh, to drum up interest, uh, having him join the Browns. But I'm guessing he's looking for a team that might be a little bit more ready to compete this year. The last thing I would say on this, I was surprised that Brandon Marshall uh, was able to uh, attract a team in a visit. He went to see the Seattle Seahawks, I believe, either late last week or earlier this week. He's four years older than uh, does Brian and coming off another serious injury. So that was a little surprising to me, but uh, maybe it just tells us guys that there are some more things uh, behind the scenes that we're not aware with, uh, aware of uh, with Des than, than, than really we know about. I'm not really sure. We are about eight weeks or so away from teams reporting to their 2018 training camps. And, and we thought it would be best to spend the next few weeks going division by division and talking about some of the potential for each team and, and where they might need improvements. And so we're going to take a look now at the AFC East and, and we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Bills traded up and, and got their guy in, in Josh Allen in the 2018 NFL draft. How is this team looking uh, going into the, the 2018 season, guys? I don't know, Arthur. I'm not. I'm not very enthusiastic. I know this team obviously ended its long playoff drought, and you know it was a great way to, you know, to get the fans back engaged and all that. Uh, I look at their schedule and I see a lot of tough games. You know, especially outside the division. Uh, I see a turnover machine and Josh Allen potentially taking over at some point. You know, one of the things that they were so good at was was controlling the ball. Last year, I mean, Tyrod Taylor had four interceptions last year when he was the starting quarterback, you know, and that, uh, you know, that turnover ratio, I think they were plus 14 midway through the season. That was a big reason why they were where they were. I don't know that they're going to be able to take the ball away as much, and I think they're going to turn it over more. And if LaShawn McCoy goes down, I think they're just in real deep trouble. So they open up with three or four on the road. I think five out of seven on the road as well. I could see this team going really far down before it goes up. Yeah, and then the two home games in weeks uh, one through five are the Chargers and the Titans. So Chargers predicted to win their division. The Titans are a strong rebound candidate. So, uh, Eric, we're absolutely on the same page with this one. I just – well, A, I I think that they chose the wrong quarterback uh, in in going with Josh Allen over Josh Rosen. So uh, I can't really sign off on that. And beyond that – Look at the success of young quarterbacks in recent years, whether it's Dak Prescott, whether it was Jared Goff in year two, 
uh, Carson Wentz right out of the gate in year one, but I think year two is a better example for him too. The common denominator is obviously supporting cast and, and all of uh, the things they have working in their favor. When I look at the Bills offense after losing Richie Incognito and losing uh, Eric Wood to retirement and trading Cordy Glenn, the three best blockers on that offensive line, when I look at the Bills' weapons, I still see the worst wide receiving core in the NFL. Um, is Josh Allen even going to have a chance er- uh, early if he's able to get in the lineup, Eric? Because I'm having a hard time seeing it. Yeah, I don't know. And that's the, the question they have. Does A.J. McCarron just sort of, you know, right. take take things for now? And, and yeah, I just, again, I, I I appreciate what they did. Sean McDermott, <laughs> I thought, got lucky in a lot of ways last year. He was still yeah. feeling out the game management process as well. Doing so with a more turnover-prone position at quarterback, I think, and the lack of playmakers that you mentioned, the blocking up front, I don't know, that puts a lot of onus on that defense. So I'm just not enthusiastic at all about this team this year. And what an interesting thing. I know we're going to move on, but Eric, you you really hit on an important point here with the turnover takeaway and how opportunistic that defense was last year. Clearly, that's the way that Sean McDermott wants to play football. So very interesting that he would trade out, swap out the risk-averse Tyrod Taylor for Josh Allen. It just, it almost seems to go against their own identity. But, you know, I like McDermott and I like Brandon Bean. I like them having the strength in their convictions here, but I just, man, I, I don't know. It seems like this thing could go sideways in a hurry. We're going to talk about the New York Jets here in in, uh, in a little bit, but uh, there's, there's sort of this arms race happening between these two teams. And, um, you know, Arthur, you kind of just talked about sort of sort of your thoughts on on how the Bills handled the draft. I mean, which team, which of these two teams sort of got this right, um, if if any? Well, it's almost ironic. I thought that the Bills played it exactly right in positioning themselves to be the main power broker in the draft after the Browns. But as I said, I I, I kind of thought they blew the pick. I thought it was going to be Josh Rosen, and I was very stunned to see him move up uh, and go after Allen instead. On the flip side, they always say it's better to be lucky than to be good. I absolutely believe that Mike McCagnan got lucky as all get out in only trading up to number three and leaving two quarterback needy teams in front of him uh, and then still getting Sam Darnold. Man, what a, what a coup that feels like. Uh, and, and I don't know if they're necessarily positioned better than the Bills on day one to support him, uh, but they do have Josh McCown. They do have Teddy Bridgewater. So, uh, Eric, I don't, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, but out of those two teams anyway, it seems to me – like it ended up at least the end result is that the Jets got this one right, even though they maybe uh, had some more blind faith involved along the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you're if you're just stacking the Jets and, and Bills this season. Who knows who's better? But in the long term, I agree. And and you know, I was critical of the Jets the way they handled it because I thought they were yeah taking a real risk, not moving up at least another slot there to number two. You know, we know that wasn't possible. The Giants weren't moving, but. You know the Browns weren't leaving that number one pick. They weren't. They weren't going to vacate that spot. But yeah, they they got. They were fortunate how it turned out, or maybe they had great foresight. But yeah, yeah, the Bills uh, kind of left me scratching my head a little. All right, guys. Well, let's move now to the Miami Dolphins, uh, where quarterback Ryan Tannehill will be returning after having season-ending ACL surgery less than a month before the 2017 season started, and caused Miami to go to Jay Cutler at the helm and ended up in a 6-10 debacle. Can they right this ship down in southern Florida? Talk about blind faith, Eric. I mean, <laughs> to think Ryan Tannehill could still be the guy there. Uh, let's remember, it was not Ryan Tannehill is not Adam Gase's guy. He's not Dennis Hickey's guy. Uh, he preceded their time there, I believe. And uh, I guess it was Mike Tannenbaum that gave him the big extension. So 
Um, boy, I don't know. They, 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 they turned over that offensive line as well, got rid of Mike Pouncey, uh, believing a, a quite a bit, I guess, in Laramie Tunsil, Juwan James, those types of dudes. But um, I, I don't know. Ryan Tannehill, to me, feels like the big mystery. We haven't really seen him do anything uh, in a meaningful uh, you know, spot here in what feels like about two years. So I, I don't know at all what to expect from them. But we have to remember they're just two years removed from that 10-6 and wildcard berth and such a, a strong finish where they were winning all those games late. Yeah, Mike, Mike Tannenbaum, you say, the guy who gave extension and, you know, a contract in Dominican Sue, And, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, some of their financial mistakes, I think, are coming back to haunt them. And that, that's obviously a big story of this offseason. And, and they re-signed, you know, Tannehill. They give him the, uh, the extension to where – you know, he's locked in. He's their guy. He pretty much, you know, kept them out of drafting a quarterback this year or moving up for one. So, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I say to myself, look, they're going to get more from Raekwon McMillan and Charles Harris and, and uh, Cordero Tranks, uh, Tankersley and, and some of the guys they drafted the last couple of years. Maybe some of these young defenders they added, Minka Fitzpatrick and, and Jerome Baker, I think could be a pretty good little uh, blitz, you know, coverage third down uh, linebacker. I'm excited. You know, Xavier Howard played really well in December. He looked like a number one corner for, for four games. But there are just a lot of unknowns I still have. They lose Jarvis Landry, kind of that safety net on offense. You know, they draft Mike Gusecki. So, you know, they got rid of Ajayi last season. It's just so much turnover to where it could all work. You know, the talent is there. I, I But you're counting on Kenyon Drake being healthy, you know, Tannehill being healthy, somebody stepping up at receiver, the offensive line coming together. It's just a lot of... A lot of hand-wringing and, and hope that has to go on this year as that kind of comes together. And I was going to say, Eric, is there any way in, in replacing uh, two of those those best players? Yeah, no. I mean, it's got to be a group effort. And, and they've been th- their, their depth has really come back to haunt them. They've had injuries the last couple of years. You know, they found out their second and third teamers were pretty bad players. And that also is on Tannenbaum and, and – you know, the front office there. But I do think they've at least sort of replenished a little bit of that depth, even while losing top-tier guys. I just don't know if they have those true difference makers. Maybe the more balanced roster in the long term will end up, will end up helping out. You know, not having a salary cap hijacked by two or three players. But, you know, again, it's it's it just sort of comes down to a lot of projection for me where I can't get – you know, they might be they might be a plucky little team, but I don't know that they're going to be a, a superior one this year in any way. What and, do you, think, and, you know, plucky is the perfect word to describe the Jets, too. Who I know we kind of moved past already. They were plucky last year. Curious to see what happens with them. But uh, maybe no team outside of Oakland and John Gruden's is uh, looking to kind of rebuild on the fly and get older in free agency, but still hope that they're better, uh, like Miami trading for Robert Quinn, bringing in Josh Sitton, uh, Danny Amendola. Eric mentioned it's going to take a village to replace Jarvis Landry. Well, <laughs> clearly they agreed on that. It's going to be death by slot receiver, I guess, with <laughs> Albert Wilson and Danny yeah. Amendola. I don't, I don't understand that at all. And then you go, I do like Mike uh, Jasicki a lot, and I think he's going to have a chance to be a stud, uh, to be kind of Adam Gase's new Julius Thomas, if you will. But um, yeah, just overall, it's hard for me to see, frankly, now that we've talked about the three teams not named the Patriots, uh, how the gap has really been closed that much this season. I, I like that the Bills and the Jets are are looking uh, long-term view, kind of unlike the Dolphins, if you will, but uh, it seems pretty clear uh, as, as this conversation where we, where we know it goes next uh, and where it probably is going to kind of stay for the foreseeable future in terms of the division dominance. If Tannehill does 
get re-injured. Does this team somehow <laughs> find a way to to improve? I mean, is is Tannehill sort of their their best bet, and and, and they don't have a, a a solid backup to come in? Yeah, he's their bet. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I, I you know, and, and Brock Osweiler. I know he had a, a little bit of run there where. You know, he at least kept the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl contention before he was benched again. But, yeah, I mean, I know they just added Bryce Petty. I don't think you're really honestly thinking he's going to help them in, in any reasonable way, but it's a worthy dice roll, I guess. And, yeah, I just, you know. In, hey, don't forget about David Fales. You got him on that roster, too. Preseason hero, man. Yeah, everybody's uh, draft crush about three years ago. I don't know. Everyone was just excited about him for some reason coming out. But, yeah. That's it. They, they have to assume and hope that Tannehill is healthy and ready to go and that he has his best season ever coming off an ACL. Could it happen? Yeah. Do I think it's going to? No. I just, I just can't get behind that. Did, did they downgrade from Matt Moore to Brock Osweiler? That's kind of oh what God. I'm thinking. Yeah. Not really. I mean, Matt Moore yeah. for a long time has been one of the more respected backups in the league. I know uh, it didn't go well uh, when he had his chance last year. I don't believe in Jay Cutler's absence, but I don't know. Very curious. Let me just say that because I feel like I've just slammed the Dolphins here for this whole segment. <laughs> I do like their draft a lot, and I think getting Minka Fitzpatrick at number 11 is an awesome pick. And I, like Eric said, I think you know Jerome Baker will give them a chance. I, I really like K. Kalen Balazs in the fourth round. He's got special traits uh, if it gets put together. So it's not like they just like, you know, uh, phoned it in or anything. I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I wonder how much it helps them right out of the gate this season. And I'm with you too. And I I, I was kind of confused when I saw that, uh, you know, the the sort of the offensive plans under, you know, under Gase and and I'm blanking the. Dowell Loggins. Yeah, Dowell Loggins. Coordinator. coordinator. We're going to use 13 personnel, which is three tight ends. And we're going to, emphasize that position so let me understand this you grab two slot receivers in, in Amendola uh and Albert Wilson you've got Jakeem Grant another little speedster there oh by the way Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker they've invested in as well all these wide receivers which supposedly was the one position they didn't want to draft because they were good there let's only put one of them on the field in these in these situations I realize that's not going to be their primary formation but this has always been the, the Dolphins' problem, in my view. My, my 30,000-foot view has been you've got the coaching staff thinking one thing, the general manager thinking another, the rest of the scouting staff thinking a third thing. There's been no clear vision for this team for a long time. And I don't know. Getting everybody on the same page is going to be crucial to being competitive this year and, and you know viable in the long term once Brady eventually goes into retirement. They've got to seize that opportunity because – it's going to close pretty fast otherwise. Eric just nailed it. I wrote a column two years ago, I want to say, when the Dolphins hired Adam Gase and then they traded for Mario Williams and Mike Dan- and they traded for, I believe, Byron Maxwell. And immediately, Mike Tannenbaum seemed to start like d- stacking the deck against his promising rookie head coach. So <laughs> I think you really just nailed it. And it, yeah. it, you know, I really do like Adam Gase, but I'm just not sure he's ever had a true shot here uh, because there's just it's just a muddled view and, and you can't have that. Uh, in the AFC East where the Patriots have won, I think, like 37 straight uh, division crowns. <laughs> Not literally, guys. Yeah, close. Yeah. <laughs> close. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll head to New York uh, once again and discuss whether Sam Darnold starts week one for the Jets and wrap things up with the defending 2017 Super Bowl champs, the New England Patriots, uh, as Tom Brady looks to hit 1,000 rushing yards this season but has Whoa. yet to be seen at voluntary <laughs> workouts. And this guy is the greatest of all time. Does that even matter? Uh, We'll discuss that and more coming up. Stay tuned. 
Welcome back, everyone. We are continuing our division-by-division breakdowns and talking about some of the potential of each team and where they might need improvements. And we are going to now go to New York, uh, where Todd Bowles and the Jets might be looking at a quarterback controversy. Where is this team at right now? Yeah, Arthur, I think their their controversy is actually a pretty nice setup. I mean, you know, you could say, you could argue that you know, obviously drafting Christian Hackenberg was a poor move and that's never going to work out. And maybe Teddy Bridgewater's knee is never going to hold up, but they've given themselves layers of insurance to where they felt comfortable. Okay. We can cut Bryce Petty, let him go slim it down to four guys. They have Josh McCown back on a very, you know, nicely paid uh, one year type of deal as the bridge to Sam Darnold who takes over at whatever point, you know, if you want to bring him in, you know, your season is lost. You feel like you got to see something out of him down the stretch. Great. This is a kid who's just turning 21. I mean, he's got plenty of upside, plenty of time to grow. You don't have to force him in there. There's no uh, clock ticking. This is not, you know, him going to the Giants, let's say, and, okay, when are we going to swap him out with Eli? I mean, Josh McCown played pretty darn well. He had career highs in a lot of numbers last year, so I like that fit right there. You're not worried about him. We'll see what Bridgewater has. Hackenberg, who the heck knows, but Darnold can develop at his own pace, Arthur. So I kind of like the way they've handled it so far. And, uh, you know, I guess the only question is whether Todd Bowles feels comfortable in his, in his position after, uh, you know, a season in which he kind of overachieved a little bit. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought they did a nice job insulating Sam Darnold uh, and people will kind of turn their nose up at this maybe by, uh, you know, all the people that want to praise Josh McCown's locker room presence and what he means uh, just to a team on and off the field. But I I think there's something to it. And I think he's a great guy to have in that quarterback room behind. I think what just 21 year old Sam Darnold, remember, he's so young, doesn't have a ton of experience just yet, uh, but he might have the highest ceiling of any of these rookie quarterbacks. So I'm interested in the Jets, I have to say. I think the defense, too. I'm worried about the pass rush. I don't know what's going to be there uh, on the edges. That seems like that's been a problem for like a decade now. But uh, it's interesting to see where they put their resources, Mike McCadden and Todd Bowles, that is. It's in the secondary, and that's the same way that the Patriots have built up their defense. Now, has it always worked? No. The Patriots' front seven was badly exposed due to injuries and, and attrition and turnover last year. Um, but I kind of like how they've, uh, you know, they paid up for Tremaine Johnson. Obviously, they've got uh, they've got a pretty good duo potentially if they're healthy in Claiborne and Johnson. Then, of course, those young safeties to build around. Uh, and we remember from the years in Arizona, Eric, the way that Todd Bowles wants his defense to kind of spin off uh, the secondary and kind of the toughness, the physicality of that secondary, I should say. Uh, and I think they kind of may have that formula here. Yeah, t- uh, Sam Br- Br- uh, Darnold could buy his first legal beer June 5th of this year, wow. so just to put that up there. But, yeah, you're right. I think Todd Bowles is going to want an aggressive defense here, and he's got more help in that secondary. I really like six-rounder Perry Nickerson. Nickerson. I think he's going to be a feisty little corner for them, You know, maybe even push Buster Screen in that role. So, yeah, you've got Jamal Adams, Marcus May, top two picks last year. Tremaine Johnson, the big free agent, I agree. You know, Morris Claiborne has helped. He, he had a re- resurgent year. That secondary looks pretty good. No clue where the pass rush is going to come from. Mo Wilkerson is gone. Leonard Williams has been good, not great. They'll stop the run pretty well, I think. I just don't know they're going to sack quarterbacks, so they got to hope that coverage is good. So, yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting little team. They've got the framework in place here. I just think that the lack of playmakers at some point will catch up to them. We'll move on to the Patriots, uh, and of course, a, a lot to discuss there. We'll start with things getting kind of chippy out in uh, in Foxborough. I, what are some of the reports on, on some of this infighting that we've heard of? 
if Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and those guys do not show up to the, the, you know, the, the, the June OTAs, then we've got an issue here, but it doesn't sound like that's necessarily going to happen. I guess there's a little bit of nervous tension in the air lingering from, uh, you know, all the reports of, of what was going on last year between Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the Holy Trinity. And, you know, whether there was, you know, uh, some, some, some white smoke coming out of, uh, you know, one Foxborough place or whatever the address is up there. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think this team finds a way to feed off the negative energy as well as any sports franchise that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, we know what quarterbacks age 41 and older have done in the NFL, and that's usually not great, whether it's Brett Favre going from an MVP-like season in 09 to being terrible in 10, you know, Warren Moon's last gasp, whoever. There just haven't been a lot of examples. So that said, Tom Brady gets Gronk back, assuming, you know, he's good to go. Edelman's back. They've beefed up the offensive line. They've got Sony Michelle there now as the first-round pick. It's hard for me to believe that Brady is going to be terrible. It's hard for me to believe they're going to let this tension linger into the season. So I'm not overly concerned at this point. Yeah, remember that ESPN report came out uh, as the playoffs were starting last year. And of course, New England did what they kind of, and they made it interesting. Obviously, there were some comebacks needed, but, uh, and obviously the ultimate comeback didn't come quite as far as it needed to to, to win the Super Bowl, but they still uh, were able to do what they do each year pretty much and get back there. So, yeah, I don't worry all that much about the distractions or the swirling dysfunction, but I will say, uh, I'm a lot less convinced that we're going to see Rob Gronkowski uh, at their Juno TA or whenever it is that they'll reconvene than I am Tom Brady, just because I think even if Giselle wants Brady to think about retirement and even if Brady does feel so underappreciated, I just think the dude's too competitive and I think he loves football too much and he knows how good he still is. He just won the freaking MVP at age 40. Yeah. Uh, it's just impossible for me to believe he's not going to be there. But with Gronk, I, I wonder, I mean, uh, the outfit, God, here's a uh, Josh Rosen alert. Outside interests, you know, I, he's just he's got so much other stuff, so much character, uh, you know, just so much personality, I should say, and, and other things he can be doing. So uh, I, I wonder a little bit about Gronk and, and where his head will be at uh, as they get ready to get this thing back together. Uh, and we do know that they need him desperately, especially after you talk about Danny Amendola, Brandon Cooks, uh, all the changes that have happened, Nate Soldier. Uh, Brady's so resourceful and so good at doing it with the different cast of characters each year. Uh, but that is a lot of turnover if he's not going to get his all-world tight end back. Yeah, people laughed when the action hero stuff came out where Stallone supposedly said to him, hey, you should be the next uh, you know, Schwarzenegger or whatever. You should be the next uh, Sly Stallone. Yeah. I'm, believe me, that's a legit thing for him. He could, he could have... He could probably enter the Hall of Fame now with his brilliant career, even though he's missed Absolutely. a lot of games, hasn't played a long time. He's the best two-way tight end that we've seen in ages, ever, maybe. So, yeah. yeah, don't think he hasn't thought about the fact that he could go to Hollywood and be – I mean, like you said, he is a character. I mean, that's – people love Gronk. They love the, you know, the, the sophomoric humor. They love the, the goofiness of the guy. They love his physical stature. There's so much appealing about him. So, yeah, I think there's absolutely a – more of a concern for him than Brady, who is, you know, he knows his legacy is at stake and he knows that one final misstep could, could kind of derail an otherwise almost flawless career. 
Did yeah, you I think it's safe to say the Patriots and Bill Belichick need Rob Gronkowski more than Gronk needs Belichick yeah, and the Patriots? Good way to put I, it. I think that that's reasonable. Um, uh, what about the defense, uh, Eric? I'll just throw it back to you real quick because obviously that was what was exposed in the Super Bowl and um, not a ton of, of upgrades, really. I mean, the, you know, the draft Duke Dawson, the nickel corner uh, on day two. Uh, Christian Sam, I think, was a good value pick on day three at linebacker position that was really exposed last year. But uh, are you confident? And of course, Matt Patricia stepping away, too. Uh, what do you expect to see from the D? Because it seems like we don't really ever wonder or worry about the offense. Quick thought. Let me just put this out there and see what you guys think. But I don't think they were all that upset that Matt Patricia left. I think, first of all, they expected it. But I, I got the sense that that maybe they were just fine with him getting a head coaching job and that a little bit of new blood, whether it's you know strictly on the shoulders of somebody like Brian Flores, who will be mm-hmm. sort of the de facto D.C., you know, or Brett Bielema reportingly joining the staff. He's a defensive guy. He's had Belichick's here for years. I think they'll be fine in terms of the play calling, you know, scheme designing aspect of it. Then they go out and, you know, they add Danny Shelton. They add Adrian Claiborne. You know, they get Trey Flowers back healthy. They get Derek Rivers, their top pick last year. Vincent Valentine. These aren't exciting selections, but they at least have some depth now. And, I happen to think Juwan Bentley is, is going to be a pretty good little two-down linebacker. They got him in round five. You know, high towers back from injury. They get Jason McCourty. So there weren't any stunningly good uh, acquisitions. It's a little scary when two of your starters are, are former Cleveland Browns, I guess. But, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I think there will be enough depth there where they can play that bend-but-don't-break style, get some red zone turnovers, hold teams to field goals. It's kind of the formula that's worked for them for, for years. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think all those important names of just guys getting back healthy. I had forgotten about Danny Shelton and Claiborne, the newcomers up front who certainly should help Adrian Claiborne. I'm curious to know how much of his contract goes to Chaz Green for that breakout last year in right. Tyron Smith's absence, the six sack game. But no, those will be nice little additions. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget what Dante Hightower, you know, his absence and uh, and just the his importance to the team and what his absence meant last mm-hmm. year. So, I think it's also worth noting that I mean, really, anybody that winds up going to the Patriots, we we wind up seeing those players just even if they were not very good with a former team, they come up and and do some outstanding stuff uh, sure. under that coaching staff there. So. And yep. some talented guys, Danny yeah. Shelton, the first rounder. What about Cordell Patterson? I assume everyone has kind of given up on him as being uh, an offensive difference maker at this point. But, boy, putting him with Josh McDaniels, I don't know if he's ever been uh, set up for the type of success or the possibilities uh, that may be in store for him now. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, Matt. That's a great point. Jordan Matthews, too. Bill Belichick makes a career off of turning others' trash into his treasure, and he's got some high-pedigree guys to try and do it here with. I mean, yeah. I mean, Cordell Patterson is lined up as a running back at times. He's a big physical guy. He's been an impact guy on kickoffs. Their kickoff returns, their punt returns have been kind of weak in recent years. So it's possible. You know, I I, I guess I'm excited to see what those guys do. If Chris Hogan could stay healthy for for a whole year, Malcolm Mitchell. It's so much depends on the (laughs) – you know, the availability of those players that just weren't there by the end of last season. Well, guys, that will do it for our look at the AFC East in our division by division breakdown series. Uh, next week, we will be taking a look at the AFC North. So you're going to be sure to want to listen to that. I'm sure we're going to have 
more hard knocks talk, and and we'll be talking Ravens, uh, Bengals, Steelers, and of course the Browns. So uh, be sure to uh, download and, and listen to us uh, next week as once again we we go around and, and break down the AFC North. Uh, before we leave, guys, we talked back at the top of the show about the U.S. Supreme Court ruling to legalize sports betting. So we thought we would take a look at some upcoming uh, team over unders for the 2018 season, and we'll make this more of a regular segment before we close out the show each week, kind of talking about uh, some some picks and things like that here. Um, this week seems fitting to discuss the AFC East uh, win totals. And, and guys, uh, what do we got there? Yeah, I mean, I'm still going over 11 for the Patriots. They, <laughs> they always go over 11. I know it feels like it's the biggest number on the board. I don't care. I would still take that over. You know, I, I, I don't trust Buffalo at six and a half. That, you know, coming off what? a nine-win season, you think, oh, geez, that's easy money. No, I would still go under on that one. I don't feel they're a good football team this year. Uh, the Jets at six, if I had to choose one side or the other, I'd probably go over, but I don't think it would go much over. You always sort of want to feel like you've got at least a, a win and a half or a two-win cushion. Dolphins also at six, kind of ambivalent on them, too. Uh, they, you know, they feel like a team that, like you said, Arthur, they were 10 and six two years ago, six and 10 last year. Probably would say they're somewhere between that now. So I guess I would go with a, a soft over recommendation there. Yeah, I, I will just promise to listeners that Eric and I won't always be in lockstep, but it kind of I feel like we are this week. I mean, obviously no one's betting under Quit 11. agreeing with me. Come on. <laughs> we won't do it all the time, but I, just, right, uh, I think he summed things up well here. I don't, I'm not predicting. I was the idiot who said the Browns were going to be competitive last year before they went 0-16. So I'm not trying to say the Jets are going to do that this year, but I just I do have a feeling that they could at least be plucky again, as we said earlier in the show. So I like them going over six wins. They're going to be in a lot of games. They're going to have a good chance to get over that. Um, and I think I said, I think the Bills could take a step back before they look to go forward again. So I'm under six and a half there. And uh, the Dolphins, I, I just really don't know. It's kind of a coin flip at six wins for me. What I'd like to know is who the hell's taking any kind of under with, with the Patriots saying that they, they can't don't win. Don't play. <laughs> hey, man, we do it. Don't recommend it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of the Pro Football Weekly Podcast. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening this week, and we hope that you head on over to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast if you've not already done so. Uh, there are always uh, great stories over at ProFootballWeekly.com as well, so be sure to uh, be checking that out on a regular basis. We've actually been a little slow at the web just over the past week or so because we put the finishing touches on both of our summer magazines. We can't wait to get those to you guys, our 2018 preview and fantasy magazines. But we'll be ratcheting up the content again here uh, ASAP. Like I said, go check out the gambling stuff, something good from Joe Ostrowski. Ed Holmes had a couple fun slideshows over the past 24 hours talking about individual milestones in the 2018 season. Uh, and then today's fun one on the Hard Knocks uh, Browns sort of. Uh, angle and what to watch for so check it all out and expect there to be a lot more coming in the coming days and weeks out eric what did you call that what's the title on that one what the uh, the hbo in 16 browns uh, yeah there about? we go hbo in oh, yeah. 16 love it love uh, i liked it i like it <laughs> a reminder about the uh, pro football weekly team for the ages contest uh, which actually wraps up today thursday may 17th uh, as we tape so if you are listening to this on Thursday, uh, we hope that you have a chance still uh, to get on. Uh, that contest ends at 11.59 p.m. Central. Uh, so make sure that you get on and, and do that. If you missed uh, missed it, hopefully you got uh, your
your your rosters filled out um, earlier and uh, you're taking part in that exciting contest. Uh, don't forget next week we'll be looking at the AFC North. Uh, so again, download and subscribe to the Pro Football Weekly podcast on iTunes as well as our other podcasts, including the PFW Chicago podcast. For those of you that are Chicago Bears fans, uh, thank you once again, guys, for listening. For Eric Edholm and Arthur Arkish, I'm Dan Mott, and we will talk to you guys next week. Take care, everyone. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.